Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you with us today as we continue this great study from Warren Litzman on the cross. Thank you for your wonderful response, and we're so happy to know that this is giving you great blessings hearing this wonderful study. Today, we are in part number 12. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. And open them up to Luke chapter 23. Now we're still at the cross. I want to talk to you a little bit now about what Jesus saw at the cross. You know, Jesus tried to talk about the cross two or three times. Every time he did, he got in trouble. He thought his number one preacher would really take this idea of the cross. But you know what? The cross and the message of Christ's death did not fit the kingdom message. Now, I told you this when we first started. Peter, who was the leading kingdom preacher after the death of Christ, could not accept Jesus dying on the cross. He just couldn't accept it. You know where Peter was when Jesus died? He's out on a hillside watching it all, talking to the world and telling them, that he was no follower of Christ. That's not, that's not the Jesus I know there. He's hanging on a cross, dying dirty, bloody. Jesus I know heals the sick and gives us victory. He had missed it. He had missed it. Jesus hangs on the cross, and ironically, there's only one of the twelve that's present. But that's what I see. I want to talk about what Jesus saw. He's, he's alive there. He's been alive ever since they put the scourge on him back in the judgment hall. He's been alive ever since they drove the crown of thorns into his skull. He'd been alive ever since they drove the nails into his hands and feet. He's alive now as we look at him. What's he going to do? There's a little incident that takes place that he could have called legions of angels to come and deliver them if he wanted to. But that didn't fit. That, that didn't fit this scene at all. And the people of that day that was looking for another miracle couldn't figure why he didn't perform another miracle and get off that cross. We'll talk about them later. You know what I think about Jesus hanging on the cross? He died just like he lived. Now some of you in here are going to be old enough to die. Jesus doesn't come, you're going to pass on. And it's probably in the mind of some of you. But the greatest thrill I'd like in people dying would be to die as they have lived victoriously. 
Death is no enemy. Death is an enemy in the kingdom message, but death is no enemy in grace. It's a deliverance. It's an open door to what we were created for. So it is dealt with entirely differently. Paul would say, Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? That's the way we ought to live. We ought to live as if these things had no impact upon us. You have eternal life in you now. If you respect death more than you do that eternal life, you're ignorant. Now that's an awful thing to say, isn't it? But the facts are, we know so little about the life that is in us, the Christ that is in us, that's eternal life. We know so little about it that we don't live as if death had no power over us. As Jesus hangs on the cross, he's going to be a sweet and loving. He has a streak of anger in him. He may display that. But he's going to die on the cross like he lived. I'd love for people to be like that. We had a wonderful event take place in uh, Mississippi. That's where one of our writers in the Christ Life, Dexter Bird, lived. He died with cancer this last uh, Christmas. And just before he died, he called his family, his grandkids, all to come and gather around him. And he gave them a final message, and the essence of it was, you'll be fools if you ever leave this Christ's life message. That's the way he lived. He lived believing that people who didn't enter into the knowledge and the glory of who they were in Christ now were fools. And as he lived, so he died. I'd like for that to pass on to all. You can have a great witness in your death. Here Jesus hangs on the cross. What shall he do? Will he have a message on faith? Don't think so. Will he tell him how to knock on doors and get them open? No, that's already passed. But who he really was surfaces on the cross. Who he really was as God's son. There are two things I want to talk about concerning Christ on the cross. I want to talk about the outer man and then we'll talk about the inner man. But first, let's talk about the outer man. What, what it was he saw with the eyes and heard with the ears and felt with the heart. The outer man. Over in Luke, the 23rd chapter, 
I want to begin reading uh, about the 33rd verse. Luke 23:33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, the thieves, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Now separate this statement from the thieves. It is not them directly he's talking to. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. He's hanging on the cross. This is his outer man. He looked down, and there still stands that Roman guard that took that hammer and drove the nail through his hands. He'll never forget that Roman guard. Nail holes became important because later on, Thomas had an issue with the nail holes. When we meet him in the air, we will see him who was nailed to the cross, who has the nail holes. And there hanging on the tree, he looks down and he sees that guy that just out of job, responsibility. I get a paycheck for this. Cruelly held the hand till he drove the nail through it. He's still there. So Jesus looks down at him and says, Father, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. Forgive him. I never read that statement. What I don't think of Christians who very often say to me, I just cannot forgive that person. I can't stand to be around them. Every time I see them, I'm upset. I just cannot stand that person. Well, nobody has done you that much harm. Nobody drove any nails through your hands and feet. But Jesus could look at those soldiers who had done this work that needed to be done and said they don't really know what they're doing. Forgive them. Can you look at your enemy today and say, I don't believe they know what they're doing? It's hard on you because most of you say, well, they knew what they were doing when they did it. Isn't that right? So we got it fixed in our mind. No forgiveness. And I must tell you that the lack of forgiveness in Christianity is driving many of our people to insanity or to a problematic life. So they go to counselors, to psychologists, saying, I just can't forget them. I can't forget this. I can't forget that. I'm going to tell you, Christianity is one truth 
one way to live that the main axis of it in operation is forgiveness. It's hard for you to forgive if you never get to the cross. Because the cross is where we see the epitome of forgiveness. It's not like a psychologist trying to tell us how to forget. Forgive. While I'm at that subject, if you ever live a life of Christ in grace, you're going to have to have total and complete forgiveness of anything and everything that's ever happened to you in life. You say, oh, that's impossible. Nope. So the remedy to it is to spend time in Philippians 3. One chapter. Spend time there. Just live in Philippians 3 till it takes hold of you. The whole chapter is necessary. The old you's got to pass away. You've got to have a new mind. And you've got to forget everything that's happened to you that's contrary to who you are in Christ. This was an outer thing with Jesus. Outwardly, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In that same verse of Scripture, he has a word of salvation for the thief. Still in Luke 23, go over to verse uh, 42. Thief is talking here in verse 42. And he says unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. First, that's a very interesting statement. The thief knew something about the kingdom message. He knew that Jesus had preached the kingdom message. And so he said, I see the kingdom's going to come about and you're the king over the kingdom, so will you remember me when you come into the kingdom? Jesus knew that the kingdom would be hard coming. It was still a great distance off. But a heart of love didn't say, thief, don't know if the kingdom will come about now. I don't know if they're ever going to accept me as Messiah. I don't know if the Father will establish the kingdom on this earth now. But a heart of love said, Thief, today, wherever I am, you're going to be with me. See? Somebody said, What's paradise? It's simple. Wherever he is, the thief was going to be. This was an outer thing. This was what was taking place outside of Jesus. Word of salvation. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That statement reaches over Pentecost and over the early church period, past 
the seventh chapter of Acts into the ninth chapter of Acts where there's a remote, uh, where there is a remarkable change about to take place. And it's in the two words Jesus says to the thief, with me. Jesus knew that one day everything would center in him, that we would be with him. Because he's in us. He's in us. And someday we're going to have a teaching on all the things that happened before the day of Pentecost that pointed to the new life in Christ. While none of it is used by Paul, we can see little occasions where we might be able to interpret that fact that Jesus is reaching across there. So he didn't say to the thief that one day there will be a resurrection. He just said, you'll be with me. That was salvation. What is salvation to us today? The moment you accept Christ, he's with you. Never to leave you. He's birthed in you. Impregnated in you. You can't get rid of him. Nothing you do will get rid of him. He lives in you. He's with you. With you. Begins in Gethsemane. Paul would say, I'm crucified with Christ. So we're with him. We're at the end Christ position. And that's made known at that, at that point. Go with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Let's read verse 25. It says, There stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, who was Mary, and Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Three Marys were at the cross. Isn't that interesting? Three women, Marys, were there. But here's our verse, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw... Now, I'm dealing with the outer things that Jesus saw. We're going to go inner in a moment. But the word saw tells us what he saw outside of himself. And Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple John standing by whom he loved. And he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. What are these? These are last minute words. Going to be dead. In a few more hours. So he's given last minute instructions. There's a different way of doing that for different people. For Jesus, it was nothing but affection. He was full of love, affectionate to everybody that was around him. How could he be affectionate when his enemy stood there in the priesthood who wanted him killed? When the soldiers had done the killing around the cross? When he had these people who had come as sightseers making fun of him? How could he be affectionate? Because he had the God seed in him. 
Now, my point at this juncture is that you can be what you ought to be in the most difficult moment of your life because of the God seed. Now, for the God seed to operate, you're going to have to give up being Italian or Dutch or German or Afrikaans or black or white or whatever. You're going to have to dismiss every bit of it and depend on the seed because the seed that is in you is not national, international, ethnic, race. It's the God seed. You were born again. He put that seed in you. And that's how it is we can be affectionate at all times because love is our greatest power. In grace, love is greater than ministries. In grace, love is greater than tongues or prophecy or healings or miracles. Paul has said that plainly. In fact, he has said, in the light of love, all things will pass away, even so-called supernatural things and ministries. They'll pass why? Love is greater and more supernatural. And the God seed in Jesus could be ultimately affectionate in his last words. Some of you are going to have last words. Dexter, when I was talking to you about, had last words. And he used them wisely. He pointed his children and grandchildren to the message of life. Some of you are going to have that opportunity. In your final words, be loving and affectionate. It isn't in you to do that, but you're to be dead. And he who is your life and works through you is perfect love. So let it flow out. That's what it means to have the God seed in us. The same seed that the Father put in Jesus of Nazareth is the seed he put in us. But the difference is he called us sons by that seed, and that seed was Jesus. <laughs> He had a word of suffering. This is another outer thing about Jesus. Look, we're in the 19th chapter of John. Let's look at another verse in that chapter. Go to verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Oh, we should dwell there a little while. But we won't take time. We're going to deal with it in different words than that. But he knew that everything was accomplished. If I was you, I'd mark that word and then let the Holy Spirit teach you something about it. Because the very opposite, the very opposite of the kingdom message is wrapped up in this word accomplished. The kingdom message 
is never accomplished. It is always going to be. Are you listening to me? When I was in Pentecostalism, we were always looking for a great revival. Every prophecy was there's going to be a great revival. Why? Nothing is ever fully accomplished in the kingdom. And that goes all the way to a new heaven and a new earth. But in grace, everything is accomplished. <laughs> See how important that word is? We'll come back to it a little later. All things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he saith, I thirst. Circle those two little words, I thirst. Could I tell you that Jesus never said, I hurt. He never said, you don't know what a headache I've got. You don't know how my back feels. He never said, have you had nails driven in your hand? Can you imagine how that hurts? Never said that. The only sign of suffering he ever gives was, I'd sure like a drink of water. That's the degree of his suffering. I thirst. Now there was set vinegar full of uh, a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with the vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the goat. We're going to come back to that in in a moment. Only time he said he hurt was that he needed a drink of water. He who turned water into wine, he who walked on the water, he who said out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He had quite a relationship with water, but all he wanted in his death was a drink of water. Let's cut it all narrowed down to this word accomplished and the word finished. We're getting closer to that. Another outer thing that took place at the cross was that Jesus had no time to think of his hurt and pain the people who hated him. He could love them all. He could forgive them all. He had no time for that because he realized that until the Father closed the plan, there are two closings to the plan of God because there are two Gospels. In the one plan, there are two Gospels. 
the gospel of the kingdom will not close till the end of the millennium when there's a new heaven, new earth. But the gospel of grace will close at the rapture. So if there's anything Jesus knew for sure was that what was happening to him would be the means by which the end would come, whether it was a new heaven, a new earth, or whether it was a rapture, the end would come. And he looked down through time to where the end was and was consoled that by what he was doing, God would be able to bring an end. You see, if there was no death of Christ on the cross, there could never be an end to God's plan because there would never be a part of the plan that says as many as believe to them he gave eternal life there has to be an end and his death on the cross was what spelled out the end when many have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior in this our dispensation of grace the end will come the end will come finally in the millennium when all of the nations of the world basically come under Israel. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So he could look down through the ages and see the end. And he could see what would bring about the end, that what he was doing was very strategic to the end. This is what he saw in an outer sense. That the world now had a way and a means by which they could determine their end. You've been listening to part number 12 of Warren Litzman's study on the cross. We're stopping here, but we'll pick up next time right where we left off. Thank you for listening to us, and please visit our website. This program is brought to you every week by the Christ Life Fellowship. Our website is christ-life.org. Go on there, read all about us, and visit our bookstore and look at the wonderful material that Warren left behind. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro produces this program weekly for the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.